eight minutes out of the 1,440 you get every day to help save yourself and future generations. Doesn't seem like a big sacrifice, does it? I'm just saying. Hey guys, it's Dave here with the Operation Save the Earth podcast, episode 59. As year four of the Fukushima nightmare unfolds, I've had some time to reflect on my time in the trenches a lot. When I started these podcasts here on SoundCloud two years ago, I was doing it for my family and friends just to let everybody know what was going on. You know, step one of the OSTE plan. When I initially proposed a plan back in 2011, I totally expected somebody from government, industry, wherever to step up with something better by now. Instead, three years later, I see TEPCO literally drowning in its own ineptitude at what many are calling an uncontrollable disaster site. I see quietly announced backroom deals going on with energy industry overseers. While President Obama has half a plate of sushi with Prime Minister Abe in Tokyo, and nary a mention of the elephant in the room that's squeezing them both. I see troops shifting towards Ukraine with little regard for the current status of the still-toxic Chernobyl site. Fukushima? Oh no, we've got bigger problems now. Or so they'd have you believe. As idiotic as nuclear energy is, it's like a Roman candle that stays hot for thousands of years to warm up your soup once. It's not as idiotic as what appears to be their plan, which is no plan. Let's drop the ship into Charybdis. Personally, I think that plan sucks. I'm still having way too much fun partying with y'all, and these fools want to come in here and puke on the DJ just as it's getting hot. No, 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 and no, with a period at the end. Even if our so-called leaders don't have a plan because they just don't know how to handle a disaster of this magnitude, doesn't mean there isn't a plan out there that will work. By doing my eight minutes every day, I've watched the changes happen in real time. And seeing the anti-nuclear movement grow stronger, more global, tells me our plan is way better. There's Fuku fighters in the streets of Tokyo every Friday night. At meetings, making sure San Onofre gets shut down the right way. Holding vigil for Sister Megan Rice, Michael Wally, and Greg Bircher Obed, doing time for our crimes. They're marching in India, protesting in Taiwan, and winning science fairs in Canada where they're bringing good fortune online, in the streets, in spirit, or in voice. We're rising. And it's like Cyrus said. Can you count, suckers? I say the future is ours. If you can count. Now, I talk a lot about Marvel's Avengers on this podcast, because when it comes to comics, I'm a Marvel guy. No slide on DC, Dark Horse, or any of the other publishers, but I grew up watching, reading, breathing everything Marvel that I could. One thing I haven't talked about on this podcast, and I'm going to correct that now, is my deep connection to Marvel's The Uncanny X-Men. When I first got into X-Men back in the summer of 1980, thanks to my buddy Eric Jackson, it totally changed how I looked at comic books and life. Here was a group of superheroes who were outcasts. 
shunned by the society they were trying to protect. They were called children of the atom, genetically mutated kids who got powers from nuclear fallout and turned into an army for the greater good. Now, before you start thinking that this is an ad for the new X movie coming out, think again. I don't think the films adapted to those classic stories do the ethos of that book much justice. But no matter. The lessons I learned from them are indelible in me. To this day, the X factor, being a difference maker, a teammate, and creating family from seeming misfits continues to be my mission. You see, when I was growing up in upstate New York, I was always just Dave, doing my own thing, not bugging anybody. But then I went to college. All of a sudden, I was in this thing called Generation X, a slapdash label for us 20-somethings that seemed convenient to throw around and at us. We were branded, reduced to a demographic by advertisers to sell to. I think a lot of us felt that way, even if it was just subconsciously. Now, I'd like to say that it was all Douglas Copeland's fault for writing about it in Generation X, Tales from an Accelerated Culture back in 1991, but the reality is my generation got labeled before it was even born back in the 1950s. And wouldn't you know, it came with its own derogatory labels. Slackers, do-nothings, frivolous MTV kids with no brains or motivations. Worst of all, for me, it felt like everything X, which I loved, was now somehow a bad thing. But I knew I was none of those things, and apparently so did a lot of us. Flash forward 25 years later, and you can clearly see that this so-called Generation X has defied every one of those prefabricated definitions. We're hip-hop innovators, technology game-changers, and just the X-Factor needed to level us up when we need it most in the face of this calamity. We make miracles out of metal and imagination. Believe that. And because miracles is the way things ought to be, it has got to be all about unity going forward. Getting stressed over differing levels of outrage is not teamwork. It's what they want. What we want, and I think we can all agree on this, is to achieve these four things. We need to better educate and safeguard our families from the dangers of this dynamic radioactive crisis. We need to get the people, especially the moms and kids, out of the highly radiated areas of Japan. We need to quickly control and contain this nightmare situation we've got at Fukushima Daiichi. And the nuclear power industry should get the corporate death penalty by having to foot the bill for all of it. So put it on your schedule, my Gen X Factor warrior homies. Four steps. Eight minutes every day. Playtime is over. We've got numbers. And it's time to show them what we can really do. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Go to OperationSaveTheEarth.com. Sign in and put your colors up. Until next time.